The Sports Career Podcast, episode 275. Why should athletes write a book? Hello Sports Achiever and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career or having a better understanding about publishing in the sports industry. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Andrew Piet. Andrew has a fascinating career journey with over 20 years of experience in the book publishing industry and now currently the founder and CEO of Sequoia Books. For example, he works with authors who are athletes and academics. For example, one book he was involved with was Talent to Triumph, written by Amy Williams, MBE. Another book is I Can from an academic called Dr. Josephine Perry. And the third book is Myths of Sports Coaching by Dr. Amy Whitehead and Jenny Cole and many more books. So for that reason, it's such a joy to have Andrew as a special guest on the show. And for that reason, in this episode, Andrew will share his career journey in the book publishing industry and explain to you why athletes should write a book, particularly during and after their career. Andrew, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please you share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? It started, so I've been in publishing since 1999, I think, um, however many years that is. I've spent most of my career working for corporate publishing houses of varying different sizes, which has been great. So, you know, from the big, the big American corporates to small independents, um, you get a pretty good, a pretty good idea of the industry as a whole, but that's, that's pretty much where it, where it all began um, a long time ago now. Just quickly, where did the interest of sport, because I assume from your experience in the publishing world, sport publishing is a massive, like looking back with all the books that have been written, like may I ask what inspires you with regards to the publishing world where sport fits in so well, for example, by learning from so many athletes. I just love your intrinsic motivation of why you enjoy this sector and the book category side of things. In terms of publishing itself, I guess it's like anyone over time, you start realising the things that you're better at in comparison to things that you're, you're not so good at. And for me, that was always even back to school days, I was much better with with writing and with words than I was with numbers and science and things like that. So, I mean, I spent most of my teenage years wanting to be a, a journalist. Um, I always wanted to be a sports journalist. And that was a, a, a kind of, I guess, marrying up of my, I, I've always been keen on sports, always played sports. I guess designing my perfect career at that time would have been writing about sports because I was never going to be good enough to actually do it at, at, uh, at the top level. So it was it was really around that that interest in it, that love for it. I just enjoyed it. And 
publishing publishing itself came a bit more accidentally i guess i'd love to say that there was some sort of passion or moment or something like that for publishing but i basically came back from a year out after university traveling and there was a job that had a company car and i thought that'd be cool <laughs> um, and so i became a, i became a sales rep for a, a publishing company and I, I had no idea about publishing as an as an industry before i i kind of fell into it in that way and over time you gradually think actually this is this is really cool i really like this i enjoy it and so it, it built up over time and i've loved it ever since except the company car bit reflecting <laughs> now what have you enjoyed the most from the publishing industry because this is all new to me as well i'm extremely curious so just for the listeners listening in let's say journalists let's say people who want to get into the like writing world like is there similarities between journalism and working in the publishing industry? I'm really intrigued on that point. I think so, yeah, in the sense that I think there's a, there's a natural curiosity to both. I mean, there, there's a lot of different areas in publishing to work in, um, and that would, I guess, depend on the, the the person and what their interests were. So you have the 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 sales side, you have the marketing side, like any industry, then you have the, the production side, which is much more the kind of the, the functional um, project management style things. And then you have what I always worked in after I was in sales was in editorial. Editorial is really about being responsible for, for which books are actually published by a particular company. Talking on that in comparison to journalism, there's, there's a lot of parallels in that I think curiosity is a is a big thing I've always been quite a curious person and curious in the sense that I'm genuinely interested in talking to people about their experiences I'm, I'm very lucky now that that's athletes it's psychologists it's coaches and I love it I love talking to them about their 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 careers their their experiences everything like that and I think I was never a journalist, but I imagine curiosity is a pretty important part of, uh, of of being a journalist. So, I think when when you have that that genuine enjoyment from talking to people about what they've been through, what they're experiencing, you know, I, I spoke for many many hours with Amy Williams um, when we talked about her book, and it's amazing for me to sit there and say, right, I want you to tell me from start to finish when you're stood at the top of a skeleton run at the olympic games or, or or any event for that matter what's going through your mind well you know for, for me as a as a mere mortal who there is no way you'd get me on one of those tea tray things that she was flying down the ice on but to talk to her and say what's going through your mind what are you actually thinking when you're you know your chins half an inch off the ground and you're going at 80 miles an hour and all of this kind of stuff for me that's it's that's not work. That's it's, you know, I would love to do that. Just sat in a pub chatting to someone about that kind of experience. And I think when you have that natural curiosity and, and a genuine enjoyment in, in what people are talking about, um, that, that really helps. And it's certainly, I would imagine that's very much the case for, for, for journalists as well, that if just an, a natural curiosity to, to, to talk to people, to enjoy their experiences and then to, to help them or help yourself put it down on paper. It's great. Just touching on curiosity. I think you can tell I'm a big fan of this word as well, but just decoding this a bit more for the listener, particularly from a communication standpoint, how has curiosity 
improved your communication skills. This is for people who are just starting a career in anything. Communication skills are vital, but if you have that curiosity, it sort of kickstarts that conversation. So I just love your learning lessons of that, really, so the listeners could put that into practice. I'm trying to think whether it's it's a natural trait or not. I think for me, it certainly is. And for, for, for a lot of reasons, I think a, a lot of my... I guess almost outside of publishing for me now. So I, I, I've done a lot of sports coaching myself and that was, I coached American football for many years, coached kids cricket now. A lot of that was was down to going back to myself as a kid. I was I was a kid who always loved sport, but looking back, the, the, the coaching infrastructure wasn't there. Um, so I, I was one, I mean, we, you know, we used to play cricket every night and but we never had a coach we played for a club um didn't have a a coach pretty much from the age of nine to 17 we just kind of did it ourselves and same with with football at my school we didn't have a football coach but we had a team so it was and all of those things and that kind of combined for me to to make me extremely average at, (laughs) at various sports but then have a real drive now I've got I've got two kids myself who are um, involved in a lot of different sports and they get brilliant coaching and they, they go to these really well-run clubs and I love that and that's kind of the been the motivation for that so when it's it kind of ties into that that curiosity thing for me now so when, when I'm talking to, to athletes or coaches or psychologists or things like that I'm I'm almost looking at it thinking god I'd love to have known that when I was you know six or seven or eight or something like that and and I think that's that's where that drive for, for me comes from. You know, you talk to a lot of athletes and they will talk about, you know, I, I joined this club when I was eight and we had this brilliant coach and he really helped me or she really helped me. And and for me, I, I look back and think oh, I'd, I'd have loved that. I was the kid that would have just absolutely loved that. I had no idea at the time. I, I certainly didn't feel like I was missing out on anything. It's not a kind of woe is me story, but I just look back and think I would have absolutely loved that. And so when I, when I talk to them now, it's, it's a very real curiosity. And I think that it helps from when you're talking about communication skills, you know, I was, I was lucky. I still really appreciate the fact that my first job in publishing was a sales rep. And as a sales rep, it was a a company called Pearson, which is a big American um, corporate company. It's a brilliant place to work. And their thing because it was a big corporate it was a very sales orientated company so they used to really invest in their sales reps they were the kind of we were the ones where we were at the cold face we were sort of selling their product and all that kind of thing for me it was selling textbooks so you'd go onto campus and you would meet with uh, lecturers and academics with the aim of trying to get them to adopt your book um, you know and recommend it to their students so they would put us through a lot of sales training, questioning techniques and strategies and all these kind of things. I never sort of, I never had the desire to be a sales rep, you know, for my, from my career, but looking back the way that, you know, you take those, those little bits of, of training that really resonate and some of them are around kind of just the difference in, 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 in a question, you know, the difference in, and you'll know this from, from doing a podcast is, is, you know, the difference of, a, of a, an open question compared to a closed question and, and those kind of things. And it's, it's very, that's the functional side, I think, of, of communication skills. And then, but if you 
match those up, match that functional side of communication with a very genuine curiosity, then it makes for it makes for interesting and fun kind of meetings because it just gives you the opportunity to talk to a big variety of people about a big variety of different things and and really keep that that flow of information going, keeping a conversation going. And so I think that the, the two of them intertwined are, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's served me pretty well, I think. I really do hope people are taking notes now because this is vital because it's one thing, Andrew, I've learned that is so important is learning these sales skills, but really to learn to sell yourself and put yourself out there. So we talked about questioning just then, but what other elements have supported you from a sales perspective looking back now? Uh, we talk about communication, but just for the listener, because a lot of people get that sort of tension of sales. If this, if you know what I'm coming from, like, oh, I've got a sales job and they get, there's that sort of freak moment or they free. So you've articulated it really well, but I just want to hit home the message. Like we're always selling. It's just how we do it. Would, would you agree on that term with regards to how we put ourselves out there? Very much so. I mean, it's, it's 20 years ago that I was doing sales training with, with Pearson and they used to do, we, we used to do these uh, training sessions where they would, they would bring in these sales companies and it was all role play. And we used to hate it. It was horrific because, you know, you would, you would be there with a sort of a semicircle of people staring at you while you're doing this fake sales call, um, trying to put into practice all of the, 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 the things that, that they taught you. And we used to dread it because it's almost kind of like you're, it's almost like you're acting on stage and you've got everybody staring at you. We were 21, 22, and we used to, to hate it. But 20 years later, those things have still stuck with me. Um, I, I, I still now, even small things like the, the, the structure of a, a call, the structure of a meeting, um, how you, how you lay it out, everything like that. Um, there's loads of things from sales that, that I still use today it takes a lot of well i say it takes a lot it teaches you a lot of um resilience because you're going to get said no to you know no matter what what it is that that you're selling you're going to have the highs you're going to have the lows you have to speak to a lot of people um in order to get to to the ones where it really brings about something really positive um and that's the same in in probably any job, any role, you, the more leads you uncover, the more people you speak to, um, the more chance you're going to have of getting to the right person in, in whatever industry or job that you're working in. And if you can learn to kind of almost treat disappointment with, you know, okay, on to the next one, you know, that that's, 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 that's what I got from sales. I mean, we used to speak to a lot of people. We would and it was tough because it was it was cold calling. So you know we were on campus knocking on academics' doors, um, and some people either didn't have the time or they didn't have the inclination or whatever it might be. And you're doing that day in day out for for several years. It, it's kind of it teaches you just to think, okay, next one. Um, and I think that that's a that's been a nice thing for me. Certainly, I mean, in, in a in an editorial sense, in a commissioning sense you'll have disappointment. There will be authors who you'll get massively excited about that, 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 that really want to write a book, but then some kind of circumstance might happen where they, they no longer can. And it's that kind of thing where you can't be too disappointed. It's just kind of, well, 
there's lots of others you know there's lots of other possibilities lots of other books that we'd love to do so we just we just carry on and you know those people might come back later so there's there's tons of stuff from sales I'm, I'm really really pleased I got to start out in it. Wow what a fantastic reply and really quickly on resilience reflecting on that sort of micro topic how vital is that with regards to working in the publishing industry but even relating to your career development how has it supported you looking back? I think resilience in any industry is is going to be important because you're not going to go through uh, a career without disappointment, and it's kind of it's it's how you you deal with that. And I I still learn today. I'm certainly not a kind of um, I don't have any monopoly on knowledge around it. So I, I learn tons now, but that's because I get to talk to athletes and psychologists. You know, that I can't think of a better group of people to to keep learning from. So even though they're talking to me about their books and their their knowledge. You know, I'm, I'm learning, you know, but I, I can sit there and talk to Josie Perry, who wrote um, a, a teenage sports psychology book for us called I Can. Um, Josie's incredible at, at distilling small pieces of information that are incredibly useful in, in every kind of walk of life. And it's 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 learning those those little tips and tricks from from people like that. I actually, remember my uh, she's now twelve, my daughter. But when she was ten, she was taking an taking an exam at school, and she'd never done an exam before. And so we sat there and watched one of Josie's videos that she did on um, she did I think for BBC Bite Size, and it was all about. Uh, I think it was about kind of controlling your nerves and, and handling difficult situations. And Josie would talk about the, the, the feeling of, of being nervous is the same as feeling of, of being excited. You know, it's exactly the same thing. It's just how you frame it in your mind. So I'm sat there watching it with my daughter um, and she loved it. And, you know, she, she actually said herself when she, we were driving to this, this exam and she was, she was sat in the back of the car saying, I'm not nervous. I'm excited. And she went there and she, um, she, uh, she passed the exam and then very lucky in that, that I think I had a meeting with Josie about two days later. And um, Alice, my daughter was um, sat talking to Josie on, on zoom while I was having this meeting. And, you know, Josie was kind of saying, yep, brilliant. It's exactly the same feeling, nervousness, excitement. It's just how you put it in your mind. And Alice was like, yes, yes. And so the, the, all these kind of little things that, that you keep learning. So it, it, it's a constant process. I think with anything like that in a, in a career, um, it's, it's a long-term thing. It's, it's not a, I don't see things like resilience or confidence or communication or anything like that. It's great to do training courses in them. It's great to, to, to learn about them, but it's an ongoing thing. It's, it's not a, it's not something that I think you just think, okay, I've been to this training course. I'm now resilient. It's, it's more, you're still going to go through things that are um, a, a tough, a tough to deal with. And it's then how you learn to deal with them. I get a lot of that from, we get a lot of really nice feedback on, on, on all of our books. And, and what we often hear when it's the books aimed at younger people, like, like Josie's book or like, like Amy's book, you know, Amy's book is essentially, is a book of lessons to kind of say, this is, I guess the the whole the whole topic of it is this is what I wish I'd known, you know. And, and we get that lovely feedback from people who read that book and say, "I wish I'd known that when I was sixteen or seventeen. And we had a, a lovely endorsement um, on Amy's book from Sir Clive Woodward, who 
um, he wrote, I think he wrote it was something like, you know, every athlete or sports person will go through um, ups and downs and they will learn lessons throughout their career. And sometimes it can be too late. You know, when, when you get to the point of your, you know, whatever age, 35, 36, and you're looking back on your career and you think, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd treated injury more seriously. I wish I'd looked after my nutrition when I was 17. I wish I'd, you know, said no to this. I wish I'd said yes to that, whatever it might be. But, and, and Sir Clive Woodward said, you know, often that's too late to learn those lessons. And so with, with Amy's, she, she wrote that book purely to say, look, this is, this is everything. This is everything that I've learned, everything that a lot of her, she's got a, a ton of interviews with other athletes in there that, that they've learned as well. And it's an ongoing long process, but it's nice for them to then be able to distill it in a book so people can actually read it and think, actually, yeah, that's a really good point. I'm, I'm pleased I now know that because otherwise I would have done things very differently. So it's, it's, it's a long-term, constant learning experience. I'm damn sure I still learn stuff every day talking to the people I learn from. So I would never think of myself as, you know, I, I am... I am now entirely resilient. You know, there, there, there are times when I get <laughs> frustrated or disappointed or whatever it might be. But I, I also know that I'll have a little thought in my head and think, I actually remember what Amy said about this or what Josie said about this or something like that. And, and then you can adapt and you can change to, to, to how you actually react to something. Just indicates the power of having a growth mindset. I think that's what I've enjoyed from, what you've been talking throughout this whole conversation but this is a really important one now because before we talk about today's podcast topic you know we always say there's the power of sport you know we can learn so much from it as a topic standpoint like in your opinion how can books be an answer to improve like you just said with Joyce's and Amy's book how can actually books help other sides of sport like not just what goes on on the sports field but also off the sports field I just love your point in this because I think books despite it's such a big industry of like grabbing a book or an ebook but really we can learn so much from the power of books as a tool to enhance our knowledge I love your thoughts on that I don't want to think books are like dinosaurs and going just you know out of existence I just want your thoughts from a published standpoint that the power of books can improve sport on and off the sports field they kind of set the tone for where a particular culture is uh, say at the moment there's there's a, a huge amount of discussion around the culture of sport you know we've all seen everything around Simone Biles around Naomi Osaka around Ben Stokes all these kind of different athletes who I mean there's the, the list is is endless who have spoken about yeah I mean the, the negative side of sport and you know there is uh, on a spectrum there is kind of small negatives and there are major negatives and we've seen some horrible negatives around cultures of particular sports teams or particular sports bodies where it might be a win at all costs kind of mentality where you know everything is is entirely determined by okay how many medals have we won how many medals have we won you know it's and it's never until various books start coming out and people start talking about it on social media and everything like that. That's when things do change because I don't think, well, I know that, that those kind of cultures, they're not unique to this period of time. You know, they, they were just as bad, possibly worse in the eighties and in the seventies and the sixties and the nineties and everything like that. 
now we've got a real way to get a lot more discussion going than, than was the case back then. A lot of things would have been swept under the carpet. Now, particularly with social media, but also I would put books alongside that to say, okay, well, this is where this particular area of sport, whether it's on the field or off the field, this is where it is and this is where it could be. But then it's the case of, well, how do we do that? And that, that for me is a book is a really nice practical way of doing that. And, you know, the, the, the two books that for me that come to mind in that kind of area, one of which is ours, one of which isn't. Um, the one that is ours is um, we have an author called Lawrence Halstead. Lawrence is a former Olympic fencer who works with a brilliant organization called the True Athlete Project. And they're, they're well worth looking up. They do some brilliant work, particularly around um, mentoring young athletes in terms of how they can I mean, actually, I think the, the, the subtitle of the book is a, a practical philosophy for flourishing through sport. And that that's kind of really looking at that, that philosophical way of saying, well, what is it, what is it that you want from sport? What would, what would be, what would be a win for you? What would be a positive for you? And that might not be, I want to win four gold medals and break every world record, you know, because there's, there's a lot of examples of athletes who have done that but then finish their career and think, I don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel like this is, this is how I imagined it would be. You know, they, they might have broken their bodies and had a significant effect on their minds and everything like that. And a book like Lawrence's is there to be a practical uh, way of saying, well, this is what you can do. This is, you can still, you know, have the, the sporting glory and you can still be very successful but you can do it in a way that's very healthy for you. And the, 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 the other book I would mention on that is, is, is not one of ours. Um, it's by Kath Bishop, who wrote The Long Win. Um, and that's very much along the same kind of topic. Kath talks about it brilliantly on social media, um, where, you know, the, the, the long win is really, what is it looking in the long term? You know, how do you, how do you see your career as a win? Um, how do you, and what, what impact exactly the same with Lawrence is what impact are you making to the wider community through sport? You know, that is an incredibly rewarding thing. I think for, for somebody in sport to, to look back on and think, do you know what? I helped to achieve this and I helped to achieve that for other people and for my community and for my culture and everything like that. And that for me is much more important. A, well, a more important for the actual role and purpose of sport, but be also healthier for the athlete. And actually, uh, a lot of it, putting those kind of philosophies in place will also help with, with your, your career as well, with your actual sort of the nuts and bolts of a sporting career. If you're, if you're much healthier in your mind and your body, then that can really help. And so the thing with those books is they're very practical. And, and that's, that's kind of, they are, a, you know, I think you see on social media a lot where, People will say, you know, this is great or this is terrible. Or, this needs to change this. How do we do this? But you've only got a certain amount of words to write on a tweet. And, you know, we, we all know that, that Twitter can be or, or Instagram can be different in terms of the, the, <laughs> the kind of responses and information and everything like that. But in a book, you can really lay it out. You know, you've got as many pages as you like to say, OK, this is these are the issues this is what needs to happen. This is what you can do as an individual. This is how you can um, influence things collectively. And if, if all of these things were done, 
then we'd have a much healthier relationship with with sport and the purpose of sports and everything like that. So I think that's that's where books can can really they they can they can change things and they they, they can and they do um, and and it's it's lovely that they do so. Wow, and it really relates to today's podcast topic because I have had a fair few athletes on my show and I always ask that question like how they cope with the what's next like if it was due to retirement or it was their right time to finish their career in sport so how can a book like help them for that next step like why should they publish a book after their career I know you mentioned it just then beforehand but really from a practical sense it's healthy for them to reflect on their career but also it's a way to sort of be a platform for their own future. I just love your thoughts on that because I think a lot of athletes don't, which is a shame because they've got so much learning they can give to the world, but also it can be a sort of stepping stone for where they want to go next. Yeah, very much so. I think what I often see, I guess, if you've spent your entire career as an athlete, you know, from the age of, let's say, eight to 35, you might have been involved at the very serious levels of sport. And what I see now a lot is that that can create uh, a sort of a, a mindset where all of the things that they went through become normal, you know, for, to them. Um, whereas when I'm talking to them as a kind of uh, a mortal kind of person, those things aren't normal. <laughs> you know, the experiences they have are incredible. Um, and I think when, when, I wouldn't say they're going to, there's a tendency to underestimate their, their level of knowledge, but sometimes there can be when they, 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 they can just think, Oh yeah, you know, I went through this and I went through that. And then, you know, I broke my leg and then I broke my back and then, you know, had six months on rehab and, you know, then I didn't get picked for this team or whatever. And these are huge life events to, to, to people and their, their level of knowledge, their, their, their level of knowledge, not just around an individual sport, but around, how they dealt with things we go back to resilience to mindset to having a healthy career physically and mentally all of those things their experiences are are to normal people like myself they're extreme experiences and so that really helps people to learn from them and i think it's it's a lovely thing for them when their athletic careers end for them to share that is it, it becomes part of a, a sort of a, a nice way for them to, to put down on paper what they've what they've been through, what they've learned. But B, it's it's it goes back to kind of Lawrence or, or Kath Bishop's book where it's a really nice thing to give back as well. The, the, the amount of information they can they can help others learn from their their positive aspects, but also their their mistakes that they might have made or their adversities that they've faced, everything like that. Um, it's it's a lovely way, a rewarding way, I think, for them to be able to to help other people coming coming up the elevator, you know, as they're sort of stepping off the elevator. And I see that a lot with with Amy Williams. Amy's got a a massive passion to to help particularly young athletes. Her book is mainly aimed at, I would guess, probably twelve to eighteen year olds. Um, she has a huge passion to to share what she's learned and it's 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 incredible to speak to her because she a she has a phenomenal knowledge around yeah i mean now she's a she's a personal trainer now so she certainly she's she's great with all of the the the, the kind of physical training aspects thing but 
the stuff that she's gone through, you know, dealing with, I mean, her sport obviously is it's full of injuries and all these kind of things, but dealing with things like fear, you know, how do you, how do you get over that? If I'm, if, if me as a normal person is stood at the top of that skeleton run, I don't know how I'd react, probably would run away. Um, but you know, she, she would talk about how she would deal with that and how you can therefore deal with it. I think there's so many parallels between sport and life that you can start learning from those, I guess, extreme experiences, because as, as almost blase as Amy is, when she talks about it, you know, that's a pretty extreme experience to be, to be flying down that ice shoot but the way she talks about it the way she frames it the way she deals with it that can be extremely valuable to somebody who is just going through a normal day-to-day life and suddenly has a feeling of fear or trepidation or something like that and and it's lovely when we get that kind of feedback from people not just about sport you know it's, it's going back to my kind of the example of my daughter taking an exam you know Josie's book was not written for kids to take an exam but I'm damn sure it's incredibly useful for them to do so. If it's still useful to me, I've I've read that book several times and I use it all the time. And, you know, it's a book for teenage athletes, but it's completely relevant to, to normal life, you know, because everything that an athlete goes through, there are comparable things that, that people go through. And so I think that, that for me, that, that practicality of, of, of advice based on their experiences is, is a, it's a lovely thing for the reader, but it's a lovely thing for them as an author to actually write about. And it can, it can really help both the athlete and the reader. So yeah, I think it would be, it's great for them to write books at the end. Wow. I hope athletes are taking notes and I've got a big smile because it's sort of you've triggered when I had a chat with on the podcast with Baroness Tony Gray Thompson about her training regime. And she said, I hated it. Ed. I hate turning up, but then it's transferable in the business world or work world is you still got to show up and very similar to what you're saying about Amy's book or, you know, when you're talking about fear. So just for any athletes who are listening in from a publisher standpoint, like what is the first step? So, you know, let's say I want to write a book, but don't know where to start, like in baby steps, like what is that first step that of guidance you would give for them to make it a reality? The first step is, is to talk to a lot of people just in publishing obviously that would that would help too. talk to people who have written books they'll all have very different experiences whether it's different experiences of the the writing itself or with different publishers it would kind of lead to eventually finding out who the right publisher is for you publishers are different they they, they do things in 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 different ways um there's 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 always a very key relationship between the author and their editor um so every publisher will have an editor who's responsible for their books and that relationship is key so i think it will be really important for them to speak to editors and find the basically find the one who chimes the most with you you know which which one kind of resonates which one would you think that's the person that i would like to write a book with um, but I think that the, the, the very first step, I, I personally would advise them to talk to other authors because, you know, there, there are authors that have written for several publishing companies. There are authors who might be in the process of writing their first book or their 10th book or whichever it might be. And the vast majority of whom are very willing to share their experiences and to say, this is what I did first of all, because there, there's lots of different paths. There's, 
there's different paths for different kinds of books. You know, there are, you know, you can you can use agents, in which case you you would approach, you know, you can just you can just Google sports book agents and they will, you know, there'll be plenty of them listed. They will happily chat about, you know, how it works from their point of view. And they would then, if they like the idea of your your particular book, they would then approach publishers on your behalf. And it kind of becomes basically become for some books, it becomes like an auction. You know, publishers will will work with those agents and say, we want it. And then another publisher might say, we want it. Um, and other publishers tend to not use agents. They'll just be direct with the, the, the author, um, in which case, it would be a case of the author can just a potential author can look around publishers and and basically get in touch with them. The vast majority of them should at least respond. There's no guarantee that that every publisher will want to publish your book, but you know it's it's just worth speaking to a, a lot of people about it. Um, everybody's on the whole is very willing to to discuss. You know any athlete that's kind of listening you know feel very free to reach out to me I'm, I, you know i speak to a lot of athletes who are, are writing books for other publishers you know i'm not i'm not kind of precious to say you know I'm, i won't give any advice unless you're one of our authors it's not the case and i think there's a lot of publishers who are like that i'm perfectly happy to 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 chat to anybody who'd be interested in in writing and and talk them through the nuts and bolts of it you know how it all works there's 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 a lot to it because there's also the self-publishing route as well that's that's pretty good now i certainly wouldn't discount um self-publishing there's there's a lot of very good self-published books um and the technology there is pretty good now where you can you can kind of you can do that as well similarly the with that i think is really important to still talk to a lot of people because you know every every author that has written one book and then writes subsequent books will have learned a million lessons and they will come back and say, I wish I'd done it like this. I wish I'd done it like that. And so it's just, it's massively worth talking to them. Um, but do, do kind of get in touch if anyone did want to, to speak about it. I'm, uh, I'm quite nerdy about book publishing, so I'm quite happy to, to chat all day about it. Awesome to hear. And look, just talk, talking about your publishing, could you like share what, what ins- one, what inspired you to start your own publishing company? Could you explain what it is and what are your values? And if you don't mind, I'd like to share to my listeners how I got connected with you. And actually, you reached out to me, which was really cool. And then I checked out your publishing. I'm going, wow, this is really different. I really admire your values of your vision with your publishing company. So could you just share what your publishing company is about, the vision of it and the values behind it. I know you're so enthusiastic, I can hear in your tone of the voice, but for the listeners listening in, just hear more about your actual publishing company. Yeah, I mean, what what inspired me to, um, I guess I look at life quite simply a lot of times and I often think about it in the sense of, okay, where am I, where do I want to be and what do I need to do to get there? And for me, I think, like if you'd asked me when I was 21, 22, just starting out in publishing and asked what would be your dream job, what would be the dream job in publishing, you know, with with no limitations, anything. And I would say, well, it would be sports publishing. That's kind of, you know, because I love sport, always have lots of different sports. I'll, I'll watch it, I'll play it, I'm involved with it, everything. And it took me 20 odd years to kind of, to, to, to get there, but it, it's kind of, I thought a long time about doing my own thing, 
and then it got to that stage of, of that kind of thinking of well let's go for it let's 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 do it because i've been lucky to work at some brilliant companies where you have you know it goes back to that mentoring um aspect of work with some phenomenally knowledgeable people where you learn from them every day um there's some brilliant people places like wiley and kogan page where i was and um, cambridge university press that i was there for a while um, all these kind of companies where you just learn huge amounts from some genuinely impressive people. Um, and then from working across a number of different kinds of publishing companies, different sizes, different audiences, different formats of books, everything like that. Um, I think you just, after a while, you just, you, you develop experiences, opinions on what you think works, what you think doesn't what chimes with me as a person what doesn't and it was really then to, it sort of all comes together and think well okay the two areas that I love publishing in the most have been psychology and sports and and I also have very firm opinions about what I think publishing should be book publishing should be and so for me it's then well I don't know whether there's a job at a company that I would apply for that would have that as a kind of at the heart of it, everything, you know, everything entirely tailored to what I would like to see in my area. So it's a kind of say, well, let's do it. Let's, let's start my own thing. Um, so that, that's kind of, that's, that's why I did it. The company itself, it's kind of the things that we we've spoken about the, the, the three words that, that I want most associated with it. It's why we, we have it as a tagline is positive, practical, and impactful positive because I think sport should be a force for good, should be a force for positivity uh, at every every age group, at every um, level of sport, it should be positive. And there are undoubtedly a million positive things connected with sports, but there are also negative things. You know, we, we talked about that in terms of the win at all costs or uh, mental health issues that people have gone through as a result of sport. Or you can talk about, you know, we, we've got a book um, that's just published um, called Myths of Sport Coaching that, that looks at lots of different elements of, of, of coaching sport. And that will look at those areas that almost kind of well-trodden in terms of um, people's opinions and thoughts on, on sport and things like early specialization. You know, everybody's seen those kind of... Uh, those those old videos of Tiger Woods when he was two or three years old with a driver in his hand hitting these incredible shots. So that that can lead to a belief thing. Okay, if I you know if my child is going to be elite in sport, then I'm going to have to make them specialize. You know, from from the day that they were born, they are going to be trained in a particular sport, and they're going to be you know captain of England or whatever it might be. Um, and but all the re the research would actually come back and say early specialization is not good. Um, and the, the, of course there are going to be anomalies like Tiger Woods. The vast majority of successful athletes have played a number of different sports when they were growing up and they've loved it more importantly, because if, if there is that early specialization, you tend to see a lot of young athletes just drop out because they're burnt out by the age of, you know, 11, 12, something like that, or they've lost their love for it. Um, you know, Amy talks a lot about this where, you know, she was, she was a 400 meter runner. She was, a, she did a lot of uh, equestrian. She did pentathlon. She was doing hockey, all sorts of different things. She started skeleton when she was 18 and, you know, she won the Olympics. So it kind of, <laughs> it sort of worked out pretty well for her. Um, and so that, that, that positivity 
but that positivity should also, in my eyes, come from a real strong credibility um, of the author knowledge. And that's 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 very key, particularly in 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 these times with a lot of misinformation out there that I think, you know, it's, it's when we talked a lot about um, what is actually I saw. It was one of the England women's cricketers uh, had put a, a post up a few days ago talking about, you know, I don't want to be known as an influencer, but I would like to be kind of influencing it in a, in a, in a positive way. And that term influencer can be, you know, controversial in the sense that some people who are so-called influencers perhaps shouldn't be <laughs> um, in terms of the way that what they're influencing people to do. Whereas I think with, with athletes and with psychologists with extremely credible backgrounds, they're the people that should be influencing people. And you can do that really well through, through books. And so for me, it's that it's, it's the positive messages behind it. It's the credibility of the author. It's then the practicality um, in the sense of, you know, if I look at myself as a, as a reader, I'm quite a selfish reader. You know, I think it's quite, it's almost quite a, a selfish act to think I'm buying this book because I want to know what I'm going to get out of it. You know, I'm, I'm buying it because I say, what, what can I learn from it? You know, if I'm buying this book, I want to know what am I going to get out of it? And, and that's, that's, I think, what, what our authors have done brilliantly well is, is constantly keep the reader in mind, um, constantly have the reader at the forefront to say, I'm giving you my knowledge here. I'm telling you, this is my experience. This is what I've learned um, in a very rigorous way, whether you're a, you know, a, a very good academic psychologist and actually Josie's, Josie is a former journalist as well. So she, that's why she's so good at communicating these kind of things. So she's great with communication, but she's also an extremely credible psychologist, sports psychologist, which gives her in my eyes that gives her the the level required to actually distill this knowledge but then you you look at um at, at Lawrence and at Amy and they've got phenomenal backgrounds in sports themselves and have learned a lot through it um we've got a lovely combination on myths of sport coaching where uh, Amy Whitehead Dr Amy Whitehead is a is a sports psychologist and Jenny Coe is a very high level football coach with West Ham uh, West Ham women's team and so that's a lovely way of having their two um, different backgrounds come together to, to, to edit this book. So that, that credibility is, is really important to all of the books that, that, that we publish. Um, that, that for me comes from a background in scientific publishing for 20 odd years. You know, you, you, you start learning um, where, I think where the advice should come from. And then the third word is impactful. And impactful is, well, what, what impact is this book gonna make? Um, you know, there might be a lot of people who have a similar thing that they would like to learn about, whether it's training or nutrition or coaching or um, psychological aspects, whatever it might be. And so when you put those things together and you have the positivity, um, that positive message around sport and you have the practicality, which is, you know, what is it that you should be doing based on people who genuinely do know what you should be doing. And then the impact is, well, what happens as a result of that? You know, I, I could see any athlete that read Josie's book would be in a better position to cope with nerves or be more confident or be successful. 
um, or if they read Amy's book, they'd be in a better position to almost kind of map out their whole career and say, these are the things I need to do. These are things I need to not do everything like that. And that's the impact. So it's the result of someone reading the book. And that's the key thing for me is very much the reader is at the forefront. It's it, it, all of our authors are extremely generous in what they're giving to the reader. And that's kind of, that's that's really why for every one of our authors why i've really wanted to work with them you, you you see when you speak to them it's it's that desire to do that it's it's not a desire to say you know i want to write this i'm going to tell everyone what this subject is it's it's, it's not that none of them have had that motivation their motivation has always been we want to give things to the reader we want them to read this book and come away from it and say I've really learned a lot there. I've really there, there are things that I will now do differently based on what this book has has said because it's written by someone who who should be writing it. I hope people are taking notes. And Andrew, thank you so much for sharing your values because I think it's vital because it sort of defines who we are as an individual or in a business organization. Just talking about the social media world from an author perspective, particularly athletes, because it's amazing how some of them are really down to earth and shy, but they want to write the book. But how important is it to have the balance of how they use their platforms, not just to market a book, to sell books, but to market their message, like you said, to create the impact for the reader, but actually for society. So would you mind just sharing what you've learned of like the athlete not shying away of sharing their message on the Twitters, on the Instagrams, but also relevant to their book? I love your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting one, and there's there's a, a brilliant chapter. I, lo- I love reading this chapter that um, Amy did in her book, which is is basically because she's kind of mapping out a sports career based on what she's done and what um, a lot of her peers um, have done in sport. And she wrote a chapter. It's kind of taught because it's I guess it's relatively chronological. Where you know the, the the first chapter in the book is about selecting the right sport for you and everything like that. So it's it's later on in the book and it's about dealing with media and attention um, and how do you actually deal with that as a as an athlete. So she has various other people kind of involved in the chapter who have who have dealt with with social media. You know she has other uh, media people in there so it's not just athletes so she's got Vassos Alexander the radio presenter and, and and people like that who have shared their thoughts around it as well a lot of that she'll talk about about credibility about authenticity everything like that and then it's really she, she'll talk about I guess your kind of personal brand and what it is you would like it to be what she was really good at I think was looking long term with her kind of social media amy's very good with social media but what she has is a lot of credibility from it because because of the way she's always done it she's she's very authentic in the sense that her posts aren't they're not always here's my shiny life type of of stuff you know she's spoken very openly about irritable bowel syndrome and things like that where it's not the kind of you know these are not the sort of hey here's my glamorous kind of instagram life type of stuff and she's just her i mean i know amy very well now and and her instagram is very much it's it's her it's 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 who she is she's she is very a a positive person but then she'll talk about the kind of the, the the pitfalls around that you would like to do long term and think about think long term when you're thinking about your social media because that can impact things like writing a book, for example. You know, if you want to to finish your athletics career 
your sports career and, and write a book, well, that's going to be directly tied to what you've talked about on your social media for a long time. You know, we, we've seen a lot of athletes in different sports who have had uh, historical tweets dragged up quite rightly and frankly is when 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 they have been dragged up you know th- those when they're at the more sinister end of things as as we've seen recently in various sports you know if i was a if <laughs> i am a publisher um if i see tweets like that would i work with that kind of author no because i wouldn't want that kind of ground whether it's you know of course and you you hope that they learn from it and they move on and everything like that and that's nice but it would undoubtedly affect a possibility of writing a book later on because it, it removes a little bit of credibility from from what they're talking about and amy talked a lot about this and she she said herself there was one example that she used when she was talking about um thinking long term after she won olympic gold you know she was there was a lot of media attention um she was the, the first woman in 58 years or something like that to 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 win winter olympic gold i think that's right after she won that she i'm sure she won't mind me telling the story she put it in the book so <laughs> it's there um so she said um she was offered a huge amount of money to appear on the front page of the sun spray painted gold naked now skeleton or winter sports in the uk they're not the kind of sports where you're going to get paid a huge amount of money you know you're, you're not going to be on a premier league footballer salary so when you get offered a huge amount of money there's going to be a temptation of course but amy said herself she said um for her it was about thinking do you know what when i finish my career I'd love to work in sports journalism, be a sports broadcaster. I'd love to write a book. I'd love to work for the BBC. I'd love to do, you know, all of these different things. And so she turned it down and said she, that that's not the kind of thing that, that, that she would like to be as part of her kind of personal brand. And, you know, she also said that it, it would have upset her grandmother. So she, <laughs> that was kind of the, the final sort of a, the final end to it. Um, so that there, there's a lot, it, it does have a big impact you know and anyone whether it's book a book publisher like myself or whether it's you know in tv you have commissioning editors the bbc has commissioning editors itv do sky do everybody does where they're responsible for tv programs in the way that a commissioning editor for a publishing company is responsible for books and of course they look at social media um you know because the that association with the particular person is is extremely important to that publisher, you know, whether it's books, TV, media, in, in whatever format it might take, it's incredibly important. So of course we look at social media and of course we look at what what kind of brand do we want to be associated with? And that goes for everything, not just books or TVs, it goes for advertising, sponsorship, everything like that. It's what kind of brands do you want to be associated with and what kind of, um, messages do you want to put out there? And I think on the whole, athletes are, are are very good at it in terms of promoting brands that are credible. It, it's not always going to be the case, but I think on the whole, athletes generally have a very high threshold for what they would like to be associated with. But it, it's, you know, it, it would also be tough if there was a large amount of money at stake because 
you know, there's very few sports, although it might seem that way, there's very few sports that, that pay a huge amount of money, like like some of the, the kind of mainstream sports do. The key thing is thinking long term, you know, it's, it's whether it's books, media, TV, advertising, sponsorship, everything like that. I look at it, sponsors look at it and they think, OK, who do I who do I want to be associated with my brand if I want my brand to be entirely credible? So what goes out on their social media, that's that is their platform now in in kind of in in these days. It's not it's not like it used to be back in the day. That is their platform. Everybody looks at Instagram. Everybody looks at Twitter. And if there are things on there where you think I don't necessarily want to be associated with that and it doesn't have to be something egregiously bad. It might just be something where you just think, oh, that's a bit sort of odd, in which case it's kind of, well, you know, I want our books to always be seen as be written by very credible people. Because if they're not, then that's the reputation of my company that takes a hit. And so that credibility of association is is huge. It's huge for any any industry or any brand that wants to work with an athlete. Think very much long term. You know, a short term misdirected, misjudged tweet is not a good idea. It's it's really about you know, but it's it's also not about saying you have to portray yourself as being perfect. You know, because that that has negatives as well. You know, it's life isn't perfect, and I think what's what's lovely about tons of athletes when they, when they're, they, they are sharing things on social media is that it's not all the, the glitz and the glamour and the shininess and the, the, you know, the, the respect from everybody and everything like that. It's saying, you know, actually I've had a really crap day today and I've lacked motivation, but you know what, I'm going to do this, this, and this. That's really nice for people to hear. Cause it's like, Oh my God, these people are normal. You know, they, they, they might be doing, incredibly impressive things but they're normal and that in itself is a very positive message it's not about just saying you know everything is wonderful everything is fabulous you know if you work really hard you could be like me it's not it's it's about saying you know there there are adversities you're going to go through and there are adversities that i go through just because i was an elite athlete doesn't mean you know i don't have to do the washing i'll go to tesco's or stuff like that you know and i think that's that's positive there's there's lots to it but i think on the whole it's just it's really thinking about it's almost putting yourself in the mind of a sponsor and saying you know if i'm going to sponsor someone who do i want to be associated with the vast majority of brands would would probably prefer the authentic credible fun intelligent real kind of athlete i think that's what i would go for wow i hope people are taking notes and i can hear your humbleness through what you're saying like just then i like to finish with an inspirational question just for the listeners who are starting out and may not have worked with elite athletes in particular or academics or people who have got a great reputation and it's like a privilege to work with what three qualities would you give to listeners with regards to working with athletes in the sports industry what tips would you give three tips um i think first of all give yourself time and be be patient to 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 develop not only kind of knowledge and experience but self-knowledge as well um it's the process to develop really good self-knowledge because the more knowledge you have about yourself and your your strengths and your weaknesses the more you can tailor a career towards that because everybody has strengths and weaknesses and your strength will be somebody else's weakness. And the longer you, you give yourself to 
to develop those strengths, that's where you become valuable. You know, you become valuable. Like I, I know that for me, I have valuable guys that I work with now in the sense that they will take on all of the, the production side of a book. You know, they'll do the copy editing, they'll do the typesetting, all that kind of functional stuff. Um, I have no knowledge of that because I've never worked in it. Um, and so their strength is my weakness. And it's it's kind of, so that that building up of experience with that, that, that takes patience, and it takes curiosity, which I think that that probably would lead into the second point, which is, talking to people, talk to a lot of people, because you're going to get throughout any career, very, very different kinds of advice from, from different people. And it doesn't necessarily have to be right or wrong in publishing. There are very different ways of doing things. It's very different styles of commissioning editors. It's why I said, you know, earlier on about athletes should speak to a lot of editors because when they do, they'll get very different ways of doing things. Um, I have my way of doing things. Other editors have their ways of doing things. So the more people you talk to, the more different um, forms of advice that you will get. And then you start distilling those into the ones that resonate most with you. You know, I, I had been lucky to have some brilliant mentors that, that really resonated with me. There's also been some fantastically successful impressive people that i wouldn't do things the same way as them not not in a negative way at all it, it's they are they are incredible people but it just wouldn't really work for me and whereas remember there was a guy uh at wiley who's retired now called philip carpenter i always consider philip one of my kind of greatest sort of mentors in the sense that that he did things in a, in a brilliant way and i just thought that's that works for me. He was just very straightforward. He was just, it, there was no, there was no um, complexity to the way he talked about things. And I really liked that. It was just, it was just straightforward. And then for me, that that's kind of, that's, it was nice to see someone of that ilk. He had a totally different personality to me. I was terrified of him for about 10 years, but in a, in a good way, but he had this, this lovely way of just getting straight to a point no fluff, no kind of bump and just saying, all right, let's just, well, let's do it like this then. And what I loved about that was it's kind of, it gives you so, almost like a beacon to look towards to say, I kind of consider myself like that. I'm not, I'm not one for overly complex things. I like straightforward. I like no, no bump, no rubbish. And it's nice to see someone like Philip, who was very successful, very high up in the company, to as someone to look towards to say that's that's kind of what I like. And I I, I didn't think at the time I, I, before meeting Philip and knowing Philip, I thought, oh God, everyone's gonna you know they you know, work in academic publishing. Everyone's got fifteen PhDs and they're all crazy amounts of knowledge in their subject areas. I thought I'll never have that level of knowledge of of, of my subject areas. I, I don't have a PhD, um, but then just seeing people who I considered more like me be successful is is great and that that's it's that it's that mentoring um aspect and really learn and learn from you know there's also been people where i think i certainly wouldn't want to do things the way they do you know that there's whether it's it's strategic or cultural or anything like that but that's still really valuable you know i've had experiences in publishing that i haven't particularly enjoyed but they they become very valuable afterwards and they, they become something that of a I often say to, to a lot of my authors that this company is built on, I think I've worked on something like 
450 books over the years. And this company is built on the gripes of authors from all those times, you know. Um, and ultimately, a lot of them became gripes that I agreed with. If you have a company based on gripes that you agreed with, where those gripes don't exist, then that's kind of what I want a company to be. So a lot of that comes from being mentored by people that really admired and respected. And then then other situations where you think I wouldn't do it like that, but it's still building that experience. And then the last thing, I guess, of the, of the three, um, I'm going to steal one of Amy's ones. Of, uh, and actually, a lot of athletes talk about it, but Amy was kind of, she really hammers it home in her book, which is control the controllables. You know, there, there are things that, that will be outside of your control. And there's no need, there's no, um, there's no positive things come from worrying about them if there's nothing you can do about it. You know, so for, for, for Amy is a lovely example of her. If you're going to take up a sport and you want to go high level at it, as, as Amy did, um, taking up a winter sport when you live in Bath is probably not top of the list in terms of you think, Do you know what, I want to be Olympic champion in skeleton. So I'm going to be living in a country where there's not a single skeleton track <laughs> and uh, I'm going to be, you know, uh, competing against german kids who have got a lot of tracks and have been on them since they were at school and it's part of the pe lessons in a lot of german schools so it's a uh, that means that there's an awful lot of things outside of amy's control when she was starting what she did, what she said was the reason why british skeleton has done so well over the years with with laura dees with with people like that lizzie yarnold all these medals every year that we're, we're doing phenomenally well is because they say, well, okay, this is the situation. What are we going to do about it? Now, the, what, what it means is when you don't have um, a skeleton track, it may, it's meant that the British athletes have had to get insanely good at everything else that they can control. So whether it's warm-ups, nutrition, stretching, race knowledge, tactics, um, technology, all these different elements outside of it that they can control. And that means they get, they get much better at it because – you know, that in that sort of that that push track in Bath that Amy kind of had her formative years on, you know, it's basically like a rubber matting with a train track on it that you kind of sling down on this rickety old kind of sled. But if you can get really good at that, then imagine what you could do when you've got a really good sled and you've got, you know, you, you're, you've got the best technology and the best coaches and all this kind of stuff. It's making the most out of, of that and and controlling the controllables what what is it that you can what is it that you can do not what you can't um and that's that's sort of that served me pretty well as well although not quite as well as amy <laughs> hey I, I don't think there's competition on this side of things it's learning that lesson of control and controllables something i keep daily in a way of when i turn up each day of like what can i control and what i can't so i think it's a really important one that third one out of interest andrew how can people interact with you online and with your company Yep. So we're on um, Twitter, Instagram uh, at Sequoia Books. Um, the website is www.sequoia-books.com. Um, drop us an email, um, DM us on Twitter, Instagram. Very happy to, to chat to anybody about books. That is great. To all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website relating to this podcast chat. Andrew, it's been such a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. You too.
Thanks a lot, Ed. Cheers. What a fantastic conversation with Andrew. And without a doubt, I hope you've got a better understanding like I do with regards to a publisher's perspective with regards to publishing a book. So if you're an athlete listening to this, I hope you've just got a better understanding of the process. But most importantly, from a career book guidance perspective with regards to Andrew is have conversations with people. If this is something you aspire to do, speak to publishers, speak to other authors, speak to the people around you who can support you with your book because really it's a team effort. Something I've just learned from authors I've had on my podcast that whoever creates the book, it's not one person. There's a real team behind the scenes that bring the book to life. So I hope you've got a better understanding of the benefits of writing a book as an athlete after your career because you can give so much knowledge back to the next generation athletes or like Andrew and myself who aren't, but we can learn from your principles, learn from your values, which we can apply to our own self-development. And with regards to a sports career development perspective, I hope you've got right from the beginning a better understanding of how your communication skills and how can sales really position you in a great place with regards to your overall development. Whatever area of the sports industry you want to pursue in, sales is so key. If you can understand the fundamentals of sales with regards to effective communication, you're going to be great in what you do. So on that side of things, Put those career tips that Andrew mentioned throughout our conversation into your sports career development now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Andrew said, keep developing yourself. The more knowledge you know about yourself, your strengths, your weaknesses, the better prepared you will be towards your sports career ambition. 